Good morning, everyone. How's it going? Uh, my name is Daniel. For those of you who don't know me, uh, welcome to our church. Uh, I'm excited to share from the book of Galatians with us. So uh, we're, we started a series in the book of Galatians last week. Uh, this week, we're going to read Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. So let's get into it. Um, this is Galatians chapter 1 verses 11 through 24. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it uh, said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Uh, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, I pray, Father, that your gospel would go forward with power and in a demonstration of your spirit, um, that you would communicate clearly to us um, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that you would be um, helping untangle uh, the gospel from religion, from religiosity, from legalism, um, that we might have freedom and that we might not depart from the good news of your grace. Um, I pray, Lord, for help as um, I preach, Lord, that you would be glorified um, and that you would speak clearly. We really love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we started talking about the book of Galatians. And uh, if you don't know anything about the book of Galatians, uh, this is kind of a firebrand of a book. Uh, what I mean is, Paul preaches something. Uh, Dan pointed out some observations last time where in many of Paul's letters, uh, he begins with greetings and he often points out the admirable behaviors or, or faith of the, the people who he's writing to, right? So it's like, oh, and the, the letter to the Thessalonians, or it's like, I've heard of your good works, and like people give glory to God as a result of you, your generosity, all of these different things. In the book of Galatians, Paul does not give any positive <laughs> greeting. He doesn't say anything positive about them. He gives his greeting, and then right after that in verse 6, he says, I am astonished 
that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so more than, like, if you think about the different letters that Paul writes, uh, this is way up there in terms of intensity, in terms of, in a sense, uh, I mean, you could, you could almost say that he's like, you could say he's angry or he's, um, he's astonished, right? Like the word astonished, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe you are turning from the gospel to a different gospel. And, uh, in, you know, maybe like 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, like those are the only other letters where he has this level of heat in his, in his writing. Uh, and so it's a really important question for us to ask. Um, and we started last week, but we're going to keep on asking this question. Uh, why does Paul care so much about the gospel? What is at stake here when he is preaching about the true gospel and telling people to, in a sense, not depart from this truth, the truth of the gospel? And so Dan talks last week about how the gospel, um, the simple gospel is in verse 3 and three, uh, 3 and 4 where he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Right? So uh, God sent Jesus Christ um, out of his grace, and Jesus Christ gave himself up to dying on a Roman cross in history uh, to deliver us from the present evil age, to deliver us from sin, from the devil, from death, and this was all according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. So this is at the forefront of Paul's concern. This is everything for Paul. And the reason why he's so angry is the implications of this have such a huge effect for people's understanding of God, um, for their lived experience of Christianity. And so to lose the gospel is everything. If you lose the gospel, you lose everything. So um, if you think about, uh, there, you know, there is a, uh, let's see, do I want to talk about that one right now? Maybe we'll talk about it later. No, I'll talk about it. Okay, so one of the things, uh, one of the misconceptions, and this is probably like the main point. I don't even know what the main point is. <laughs> uh, one, of the, one of the main things I want to communicate, uh, and this is what Paul is doing, he's going to tell his spiritual biography He's going to tell his story of how he became a Christian. And the way he tells his story is actually raising a lot of themes and truths that he's going to talk about in the rest of the book. Um, so the topics he brings up, the distinctions he brings up in this passage, he's going to continue to cover in a more propositional form later on. But we can actually learn so much about what the true gospel is based on this story that Paul tells about he, how he became a Christian. Uh, so I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll save some that stuff for later. Let, let's just get into it. So in verses 11 through 12, um, the first thing that you notice is Paul is defending his credentials as an apostle. Uh, there were other people who were bringing in, you know, and we'll talk about this later on, there were other people who brought in this other form of Christianity, which involved faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, sin and salvation, everything that we believe the gospel is, but they added something else. They said, you have to believe in Jesus Christ, 
And you also have to adopt Jewish cultural practices based on the law. So they would have said, the ceremonial law is really important. And if you really want to be a Christian, believe in Jesus and also get circumcised and also do these ceremonial practices. And Paul, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, sure, like what's the big deal with that? For Paul, this is everything. When you add something to the gospel of faith in Jesus Christ alone, you have lost everything. You've lost everything. This is how big of a deal it is. And so if you look at what he says, he says, you are turning to a different gospel. There's not another one, but there, there are some who want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then he says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And if that's not enough, he says again, as we have said before, I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so we started unpacking what the gospel is last week. Uh, we're going to continue to do that. And honestly, as we go through the book of Galatians, we're going to be looking, we're going to be repeating ourselves because that's what Paul does. He looks at the gospel, the truth of the gospel, through different facets, um, through, at different angles. He says, here are some of the tendencies that we have when we come to the gospel. These are some of the ways that our heart distorts the gospel. Um, and so for this first time, for this first, uh, for this first biographical section, um, the main thing I want you to see is Paul draws a huge distinction between the gospel, between Christianity, and religiosity. And so if you've grown up in the church, um, even if you haven't grown up in the church, we come with certain presuppositions about what Christianity is. We think about Christianity from a philosophical perspective, where Christianity is to ascribe to certain beliefs, right? There is a certain worldview. There is a view about God. God is, a, you know, like om omniscient, omnipresent, om om all-powerful, right? God knows everything. Um, and God reveals himself. You can have proofs for God based on, like you can make arguments where it's more likely that God is real than God is false. Like these are, these are philosophy, um, th these are philosophies, these are worldviews. These are all things that I would say can be helpful to some degree, but I really want to distinguish between the way Paul thinks about Christianity and the way other religions and philosophies work here. In the first two verses, he says, um, I did not receive the gospel from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here is something that frustrates our analytic mindset. Um, if you think about our enlightenment thinking, wow, this is like a history class, right? Uh, in, in the enlightenment, uh, we basically believe that God, if God is real, the way we get to God is through a set of rational proofs and arguments, right? And so a Christian is someone who has looked at the arguments for God and said, you know, I think it is more reasonable that God exists based on the ontological argument, the cosmological argument, the moral argument, whatever you want to call it. God is more reasonable. It's more reasonable that God exists than doesn't exist. And I've done my homework. I've done my reading. 
I have decided that I'm going to believe in God now. That's what we think Christianity is. And along with it comes certain beliefs about what's right and wrong. Um, along with belief in God comes certain things that are good, certain things that are bad. Paul does not, he, did, he says nothing like that here. He says, I received the gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here, when we look at his testimony, um, if you're interested, you can turn to Acts chapter 9 and read through um, kind of Paul's conversion experience. But what I want you to know is, first of all, Paul did not get to God through his own intellectual efforts. You hear, you hear that? Christianity is not picking and choosing between a wide variety of worldviews and saying, you know what, there's, Buddha, uh, there's Buddhism, there's Hinduism, there's the New Age, there's Christianity, there's Islam, there's atheism, agnosticism, what do you want to call it? I want to, I want to find the one that fits me best, you know? Um, and I'm going to, you know, sift through the arguments, um, which one fits most with my intuitions about what's right and wrong, about the best way to live my life, what fits best with me. And I'm going to find it. I'm going to go seek it. I'm going to go to pilgrimages, right? I go to, I go to India and I talk to the gurus. Or, I mean, let's be real. I go on YouTube and I watch videos related to Hinduism, right? That's how we find our, that's how we find and form our identity, our religious identity. This is not how the gospel works. For Paul, the gospel came to him. And the word revelation means God revealed himself. It's that simple. It doesn't mean anything spooky. It means that God took the initiative and revealed himself to Paul. And when you look at his testimony, and this is a big distinction between uh, to really be uh, what do you call it, captured by Christianity and to seek God based on your own intellect. Um, Christianity and Paul's conversion, for Paul, it's more like something was happening to him. There was a power that was acting on him rather than he was seeking on his own. Um, now, I want to qualify that very briefly. Uh, different people come to God through different ways, and we'll talk more about that later. But what I would say is, um, the rational arguments, philosophical arguments, etc. C.S. Lewis talks about how these can remove obstacles or barriers to faith. And so I, think, I totally believe that. I think that it's very good to ask those questions. And if you guys know me, I really enjoy you know, thinking through arguments for God, philosophy, historical evidence for the death and resurrection of Jesus, all these different things. There is some use to that. But what I want you to see is tr true Christianity at its core is not built on intellectual endeavor. It's not, it's not an intellectual endeavor. Um, let's keep going. Verse 13. You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called my, me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So now, the next thing that Paul is doing with his testimony is he is saying, the gospel is not religious commitment, it's not religious zealousness, it's not religious advancement. And this is totally crazy too. Because, so um, again, again, 
uh, when most people think about Christianity, when most people think about a church building or the type of people who go to church, if you're coming from an irreligious background, uh, you have a certain view of what Christians are. And this is based on, you know, like your experience with knowing other Christians. It, you, you just kind of have like a natural preconception about what Christianity is. And it probably goes something like this. Um, Christianity is fundamentally about, rule, about rules, where Christians believe sex outside of marriage is bad, or abortion is wrong, or like whatever it might be. There are certain moral issues that Christians believe in, and if you don't follow those morals, um, and if you don't try really hard doing certain practices, you are not a Christian, right? So Bible reading, prayer, this is the impression that people have from the outside of what Christianity is. And so there are good Christians, there are bad Christians. Christianity is about our moral endeavor, where we try to do good. And if you do good enough, God will accept you and love you and you'll get to heaven. This is honestly what many people think Christianity is. But what Paul says here is Paul did the religious thing. And when he describes himself, he says, um, in his former life, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. When you learn what Paul's former life was like, you get a certain impression of, of it. So um, some background information that I think is actually helpful for us. Uh, he was tutored by um, a Pharisee named uh, Gamaliel. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know how to pronounce that. But this guy was like... I don't know, I'm trying to think of the equivalent. Like, in the self-help world, there's a guy named Tony Robbins. And Tony Robbins sells out, like, 100,000-person arenas. He's a self-help guru. And people say, Tony Robbins has totally changed my life. He's turned things around for me. And so everyone pays tons of money to go to his conferences. Everyone pays tons of money to see him in arenas. Uh, G Gamaliel was like the, the Jewish version of Tony Robbins. Where, or another way of putting it, like he was like the Ivy League of colleges. You know what I mean? He was a master, he was a master Pharisee. He was renowned internationally for his uh, religiousness, for his knowledge, for his teaching, for his um, integrity when it came to keeping the laws. And Paul was tutored by him. So Paul had the best religious upbringing. He, and not only that, he was so zealous he was, so, uh, he was so persistent and self-controlled in keeping all the rules that he advanced past everyone his own age. You know what I mean? So this is like, uh, what, is, what is this like? You're getting kind of an impression of Paul. Um, he, was, he was a rule keeper. Uh, he was known for his religious practices, so it would have been fasting, it would have been prayer. He prayed longer than people. He memorized more of the Bible than people. He avoided doing all the bad stuff. He really, really cared. He was so committed. He gave up everything. He changed his entire life to, to follow this religious practice. And you might be thinking to yourself, if you saw Paul from the outside, you would think to yourself, wow, that's a really good religious person. Like, if, you, if Paul was in our church, if, and maybe Paul is in our church, um, we look at that person and we say, they have it together. They're doing all the right steps. 
They must be really close to God. But Paul says the exact opposite. In reality, Paul's religiousness, his religious zealotry, actually led him to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, so in case you weren't reading Acts chapter 9, let me summarize it real quick. Paul went to Jerusalem to talk to the high priest. And he basically got um, an arrest warrant from the high priest where he was basically like, I want you to give me the authority to go back to my hometown and find Christians, bind, bind their, basically arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem so they can be, you know, thrown in jail or maybe executed, right? So he was so zealous, and that's where he was going. He was going, he went to the high priest in Jerusalem. He's traveling back to his hometown. He's going to arrest Christians. And then Jesus came to him, and Jesus said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Right? All of Paul's religious effort did not bring him closer to God. All of Paul's religious effort actually led him to persecute Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ identifies so strongly with his followers that he says, Paul, when you're persecuting these Christians and killing them and throwing them in jail, you're doing that to me. And this is a revelation from Jesus Christ. And so this is so important. Um, when, when people look at Christianity, uh, they have the wrong impression of God, and it can lead to two different outcomes. And so... Uh, I, I, let, me, let me use an illustration. Um, Christianity, uh, the two different responses to Christianity, okay, let me just tell the illustration. Imagine that you are a parent and you have two kids who have very different responses to you. Neither of your kids uh, want to be like you and obey you because you have a bad relationship with them. But these two different kids use two opposite strategies to get you off their back. They don't like you. They think that your rules are restrictive. So one of them is basically like, here's my strategy. I'm going to keep the rules so well that you cannot say anything to me. You know what I mean? This was honestly like... My family was kind of like this, you know. Me, my sister and I both had like different strategies for dealing with our parents. My sister was like the perfect child. She's the older child. So the older child always obeys and then the younger child always rebels. So I'm the second child, I rebelled. My sister kept all the rules. And so my parents basically left her alone. And to some degree, that was her intent. If I get perfect grades, if I do everything that they say, if I am beyond reproach, I can do whatever I want. But you notice the goal of her religiosity, the goal of her keeping the rules was to avoid relationship with my parents. And I mean, she had a better relationship with them, so I'm not saying that was all of it. But um, now let's look at the other kid. The other kid, because their parents' expectations are so restrictive, they say, I am going to throw off your oppressive yoke, or whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to follow your rules. I'm going to do what I want, right? Now, do you see how both of those responses have the same relation, like heart attitude towards the parents? 
If you completely reject God and say, all of God, all of your rules are restrictive, I don't want anything to do with you, I want to have fun, I want to do what I want to do, it reveals your misconception about who God is. You think that God is all about restricting you, and so you reject his rules. If you keep all the rules, what are you saying about God? You're saying, I want, um, I want God to get off my back, and the way that I can basically avoid him is by doing everything he says and being perfectly religious. And then I can basically live my life the way I want. Do you kind of get what I'm saying? These are two misconceptions about what Christianity is and what the gospel is. And so Paul's, religi Paul's religiosity was actually getting him, was actually getting uh, in the way of him truly knowing God and having a relationship with God. And then in verse 13, he says, because of this, I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Here's another, um, what do you call it? Here, here's another identifying mark of re religiosity as opposed to gospel Christianity. Um, religious people have a very fragile self-identity um, and a fragile self-esteem that comes from their ability to follow the whatever rules their religion says, okay? So if you go to church, there are certain rules that people think you have to follow. You have to dress a certain way. You have to read the Bible. You have to come to church on time every, whatever it is. You, there are these rules that you think you have to follow. And um, what happens is you have an unstable view of God where, and it goes up and down, where in the moments that you are following the rules well, you feel good about yourself. In the, in the times that you don't, in the times that you feel like you're letting God down or disappointing him or failing him, you, you beat yourself up or you think that God is displeased and angry with you, right? And so, honestly, uh, this is not only true of like purely religious people because the book of Galatians is actually written to real Christians. And Paul is saying it's very possible for people who believed the gospel, who believed that they were saved by faith in Jesus and what he did alone, to fall back into religiosity. And what happens is you start to persecute Christians. You start to, and including yourself, where you, you constantly feel like you're on edge. You're on a tightrope. You're on a rule-keeping tightrope with God. And when, when you're doing good, you can keep it. But when you're doing bad and your life is really struggling, you fall off and then you beat yourself up. Um, the other thing I would say is uh, if you're religious, you form your identity based on excluding or feeling superior to other groups, okay? So if you think that it's your intellect that has got you to God, where I did my homework, I worked really hard to find the best arguments for God, and therefore I believe in God, um, you look down on and treat as dumb people who don't come to the same conclusion as you, right? Um, that you could call this confirmation bias, or you could call it whatever you want, but you, you, when you give the argument that convinced you that God is real to your friend, and they say, I don't see it, or I think there are other better arguments that God doesn't exist, your identity is threatened. And you, you, you have to respond to them in some way. Either you're doubt, uh, you, you start to doubt, or you start to look down on them 
and think you're better than them, think you're smarter than them. Um, the other thing that happens is this happens morally, not just intellectually, where you look at people who don't follow God's law um, as outsiders, as evil people, as people who are ruining the nation. And honestly, this is the language that a lot of people who would say they're Christians use. Those people are tearing down the nation because their values are off, they're not following God's laws. And, and here's the thing, they find themselves to be superior to those people. And it becomes a power struggle for my values to take over the whole nation, right? And they see the other people as their enemies, they demonize the other people. Sometimes, literally, Christians will call, I guess in this case it's generally, conservative Christians call liberal people literally demons. You're doing the work of demons. And because of that, they feel justified in hating them. Now, I'm not trying to say that the Bible doesn't communicate certain values. Um, I'm not trying to say that you, you can't learn wisdom from Scripture about all kinds of stuff. Um, but when you look at how Jesus responds to, to sinners, to people who disagree with him, uh, when you look at how Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, both Jesus and Paul look at people who are outside the church, look at irreligious people, look at people who aren't Christian, and do you know what he says to them? He says, um, we wage war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. So Paul says there is a spiritual battle happening where people are bamboozled by the devil, but they are not our enemy. When Jesus looks at people who disagree with him, when Jesus looks at people who even hate him, Jesus looks at them, and there, here's a passage that I really love, um, when Jesus saw the crowd, he had compassion on them, for they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so, you can, can you see how Jesus' attitude towards them, even though they're doing things he might disagree with, um, he sees them with compassion, and he sees them as victims to the devil, who's harassing them. Who, they're, they're, the world is giving guidance that is self-destructive and other-destructive. And so Jesus says, I want to rescue this person. He doesn't say, I want to hate this person. I want to destroy this person. Religious people will persecute. Christian people are people who have the heart of Jesus for the lost, where you don't think of yourself as better than other people. And we'll get the, to the reason why. Let's get, get to the reason why Paul uh, does not treat people without, that way. Oh, the other thing I would say is... Um, the inner life of a religious person is someone, I guess I've been saying this to some degree, but the inner life of a religious person is also characterized by anger, where um, I would say uh, they respond, like, anyway, uh, I'll keep going. Verse 15. So here's the contrast. It's the before and after picture. Before Paul was religious, then Paul met Jesus. What happens um, after Paul met Jesus? When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. So here's a huge, I don't know if you, you noticed this as you're reading this passage. Before Paul was a Christian, everything is about his accomplishments and his actions. And you can honestly see it in the grammar, right? Where he says, I persecuted the church of God. I was advancing in Judaism. 
I was so zealous for the tradition of my people. But then what does he say here? His tone changes. He says, when he who had set me apart before I was born, he who called me to his grace, he who was pleased to reveal himself to me. And so here's a huge difference between religiosity and Christianity. Paul did everything in religiosity. It was all about him. When Paul was converted, his whole perspective flipped where he realized it's not about me, it's all about what God has been doing in my life. And this is a huge difference between authentic like, experience with God and, and, in a sense, like religious experience. And we see this all the time in the youth group, we see this all the time in the adults in our church. Um, it's very possible to uh, be attached to a church and be religious, but not understand the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is individual. Um, what I mean is, when Paul goes, um, part of Paul defending his um, aspital, uh, apostolic authority is he says he didn't consult with anyone. He didn't learn this gospel from Peter, from any of the apostles. Instead, God reached him personally, and he has a sense of God acting on him, God reaching out. Um, the, the word grace, which we often use, my dad likes to define it as God acts first. Before you do anything, God is acting in your direction, and he did that through sending Jesus Christ to this world to reveal himself, but not only that, to die for us and save us in a way that we, we never could. The gospel is all about God's action and his love towards us. And so if you're a person who is drowning in the ocean and someone reaches out to you and pulls you on board, do you say to yourself, I am so smart. Like, I am so smart for taking that person's hand. It was all me. I made the smart decision. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm really advanced, you know. I didn't just let myself die. I used my smarts, my brain. Or maybe you're like, oh, can you help me? Can you help me? And then the person's like, okay. And you're like, I did that. You know, I called to, like, I, I found that person to help me. It was all me. Um, and so, you know, people say, um, uh, in, this, is, uh, this is like a, an American moralistic saying that people think is biblical but is absolutely not. It says, uh, God helps those who help themselves. That is the absolute opposite of what the Bible says about God. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Paul was very religious, but he was not Christian. And not only that, he was not making any step in the direction of God. He wasn't trying to seek him through his intellect. He wasn't trying to be moral. Like, he, he was just, he was murdering uh, the church of Jesus Christ. And God reached out to him. And this is why Paul is, like, he's flabbergasted. Whenever he shares about his testimony, he can't believe his, the, his, how fortunate he is that God would look at him, his enemy, and say, I want to save you. I want to reach and reveal myself to you, my enemy. And then Paul's life, when he encountered God, was completely flipped, where you see, all of a sudden, his perspective becomes about God. And so you can actually see this um, at, your at your very core, the very core of your life. Do you believe that the reason that you are a Christian or good is because of actions that you've taken in your life? Do you know what I mean? 
You made the right decisions. You went to the best church. You read your Bible diligently. You pray every day. You do all of these things to win the acceptance and approval of God. When Paul talks about his testimony, it's the polar opposite. All Paul brings to the table is his sinfulness. He is so incredibly vulnerable and transparent that he was going in the total wrong direction. And again, the wrong direction here is not like a life of sin, like he's gambling all of his money away in Vegas and getting... No, it's religiosity. (laughs) It's religiosity. Isn't that crazy? But when Paul encounters God, it's individual. What I mean by that is he has a sense of God, God's power working in his life. He says, God set me apart in my mother's womb, where there's a sense that even though I was running away from God and rejecting him and persecuting him, the whole time he had me in his sights. And he was arranging my life circumstances in a way um, to bring me to knowledge of him. God's action and activity. And so even like in in church, we talk about um, certain practices that are important. You know, like I believe that God reveals himself through scripture. I believe that you can't have a relationship with with God without talking to him because that's ridiculous. That's like me saying that I'm married to my wife and I have a relationship with her, but I never, ever talk to her. It doesn't make any sense, right? These are basic things. They're, they're, They're like, it's like breathing, right? Um, to hear from God, to speak to God. But I will never say to you, and I don't want you to misinterpret me, if I ever tell you and encourage you to read the Bible, it is not so you can win favor with God. It's not. It's, it's not. It's so that you can receive nourishment from God, and he can reveal himself to you. You do it because you know who God is. God acts towards you. God is speaking to you through scripture right now. God is looking at you even when you're not paying attention. So I have, I have a one-year-old, he's like three months old, and let me use this as an, as an illustration. Um, Paul was living his life, and he was doing all his stuff, and he felt like, maybe he thought he was close to God, um, maybe he, but, uh, okay, sorry, let me explain again. Toby goes around, my my son Toby just goes around everywhere, right? And most of the time, he's not paying attention to me or Ashley. But whenever he's in the room, or most of the time, (laughs) most of the time, let's be real, sometimes I'm on my phone, I know. Um, Most of the time, I'm paying attention to him, and I'm looking out for him. You know what I mean? But he doesn't realize that. And there are many other examples, like like I've used the vaccine example. There are times where I have to do things that make him unhappy. And he thinks that because of that, I am not caring for him. I'm not loving him. But the exact opposite is true, where God is caring so much about you right now. And even if you don't feel that he is, he is, because he loves you, because he acted first, because he sent Jesus to die for you and reveal himself to you. And when you experience this power on your life, it is such, like, I really I really think it's possible for many church people to be religious, but never to have the sense that God is personally dealing with them. You're just following the rules, but it's impersonal. You're following Christian principles, but you don't know the Christian lawgiver. You don't know what he's like. 
You might be angry at him. You might be resentful at him. You might think that he hasn't been treating you well, and so you run away from him. Or you work really hard to keep the rules. And as a result of that, your ego, your identity, your sense of his love for you is fragile and it changes all the time. But when Paul is talking about the gospel, he says, he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace. Because God has grace towards everyone, he calls to us and he says, come be reconciled to God. Put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died for you and you can be reconciled to God. You can be adopted into his family. That's what it means to respond to the gospel. But it's God the one who is doing it. And not only this, God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And when Paul says that, I just, like, I don't know if you can imagine what that would be like for Paul. When Paul looked at his past life, he did serious, serious harm. He killed people. He probably killed some of the family members of the Christians who he encountered when he was traveling in his missionary journeys. You know what I mean? When he went to Rome or when he went to Jerusalem. Some people might have had his, their family members persecuted and killed by Paul. But yet, he's able to say, God was pleased. God was happy to reveal himself to Paul, to turn an enemy into an adopted son. And that's the message. So this is where, let's, let's try to be real. Religiosity. Um, religiosity is, you, you know what you did last night. I don't know what you did last night. You might have done something really bad. I don't know if you did something bad. But re religiosity says, uh, you have to make up for it, you have to stop doing that bad thing, and then God will accept you. The gospel says, God, sees you doing that bad thing, and God says, come to me, receive my grace. God reaches out to you, and so you don't have to be ashamed, you don't have to feel condemnation from God because of what Jesus did. It's nothing that you do. All Paul contributes is his sin. All I contribute to my salvation is my sinfulness. And yet God is so gracious. Martin Luther, um, let, me, let me end with this. Uh, let me give you an example of religiosity, not gospel. Uh, Martin Luther was a German monk who, who basically was one of the central figures in the Protestant Reformation. And Martin Luther was a super Christian. He was a super Christian. Or what I mean, actually, he was a super religious guy, much like Paul. Um, he was crazy. Uh, so... He, um, basically, he was part of a monastery, and one of the practices that they did, you know, like the Catholic Church monastery it, back in the day, um, they had a thing called confession, where you would have to confess your sin in order to receive forgiveness from the priest. And so it would be a practice where you regularly go to the priest to confess, and the idea is uh, you are only forgiven for the sins that you confess. And if you don't confess all your sins, then you might not go to heaven, you know, because God doesn't forgive you of those sins. And so Martin Luther was so religiously scrupulous um, that he was so detail-oriented in confessing his sin that his biographies say he would confess for six hours straight in one sitting all the sins that he did. And he was a monk, 
So it's not like he was getting wasted, you know, on Saturday night. He was, he was confessing like every single tiny detail, and he was always freaking out about the idea he might have forgotten that one sin he did on Thursday afternoon at 3.15. He didn't remember what it was. Oh, no, I'm going to hell. And he was racked with guilt. His life was characterized by he, what he says himself, hatred of God. His confessor would get so frustrated and annoyed with him. And he basically said to him, you're angry with God. God is not angry with you. You're angry with God. But when Martin Luther understood the gospel, that righteousness, the righteousness of God, comes from Jesus Christ and from faith, by God's grace, it's nothing that we do, he basically changed, it changed everything in his life, where he was no longer angry at God, he, he was no longer frustrated that he had to keep all these rules, he experienced the freedom of knowing the gospel. And he said that he felt like the doors of paradise were open to him in his, in his felt experience. That's what it looks like to go from religiosity to gospel freedom. For Paul, it's no longer about like trying really hard, exerting your willpower, and to feel, ex to feel so frustrated and disappointed whenever you fail, to feel so guilty and condemned all the time. The gospel is you are accepted by your faith in Jesus alone, nothing else. And then the final thing I would say is when Paul experienced that grace, the grace of God for him, it was only then that he lived a new life for God, where he obeyed God, where he did all of that. But it came out of a new mission, a new understanding, where he's like, I have tasted and seen how good God is to me. I didn't do anything to deserve God's favor, and yet he revealed himself to me. And therefore, do you know what I want to do? I want everyone to know the free gift of God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, really love it. Uh, famous verses, uh, by grace you have been saved through faith, um, and it is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. You hear that? By grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of your own doing. You have nothing to brag about. No good deed you've ever done can win you acceptance with God. But here's the other thing. No bad deed you've ever done can disqualify you from acceptance from God because it comes from faith alone. And then in Ephesians, Paul goes on to say, um, so uh, uh, not of works, lest anyone boast. It's not by keeping the law. It's not by following religious rules. It's by the grace of God alone. And then once you understand the, once you understand the gospel, then I, I, I'll, I'll just briefly say this because we'll get into it, then even your obedience is transformed where your obedience comes from a sense of willing pleasure in doing what God says because you trust him, because you know that he loves you. And so when you fail, God is not disappointed. God saw it coming. God's pretty smart. He can see the future. God knows you're going to fail. And he doesn't say, you're so condemned. You're so bad. He says, look, you're my child. I accept you because of Jesus, and I love you. And I am going to pick you up off the ground every single time you fall because I am your loving father. I'm never going to give up on you. If you're experiencing guilt because you feel like you're not a good Christian, you might not understand what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian 
means you can say to yourself, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what I do. But then to be a Christian also changes your attitude towards God, where God is not a killjoy. God is not restrictive. First John says his commandments are not burdensome. You obey out of joy, out of a desire to please him, out of gratitude. And the power you have to obey him does not come from purely willpower. It comes from the power of his Holy Spirit changing and regenerating you, implanting new desires in you so that you long to follow him, okay? The gospel is not religiosity. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you feel guilty or ashamed about. Go to Jesus, put your faith in him, and he completely forgives you. And this is freedom. This is freedom. Let's pray. Dear Lord, um, I pray, God, that you would be bringing people uh, to a knowledge of their self-salvation projects, their efforts to win your acceptance based on what they do, or their efforts to run away from you um, based on a sense that you are restrictive and you hate them. I pray, God, you would um, bring illumination in their hearts, that you would defeat the deception of the devil in their hearts, um, that they would know that you deeply love and care for them, that you acted first towards them, that you made a way for them to be righteous that is not based on anything that we do, um, and that they would experience the joy that comes from being saved by you, from being converted, from being delivered out of darkness into light. Um, and so I pray, Lord, as we um, sing to you, we would do this out of joy and gratitude, and we would express our thanks that you saved us. We don't save ourselves. You saved us. Um, we owe everything to you. You're so good to us, and we have the joy of knowing your amazing grace. Um, so rescue us from religiosity. Um, show us the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.